0: But with that, let me go ahead and, and uh, invite up our scripture reader for today. We have the joy every week of hearing from a uh, different language on the passage that we're studying for the morning. So uh, today, I believe it is Bulgarians. Is that correct? Yep. Yes. All right. I, I wouldn't be able to recognize it. So, um, but uh, let's go ahead and prepare our hearts for the teaching of God's word through the reading of His scripture.
1: Today's scripture comes from Acts, verses uh, Acts five, verses one through eleven. I'll read the first 6 in Bulgarian. Един човек на име Анания и жена му Сапфира продадоха част от имота си и Анания съзнанието на жена си задържа част от прихода, а останалото донесе и сложи в краката на апостолите. Тогава Петър му каза: Анания, защо позволена сатана така да завладе сърцето ти, че да излужи Светия Дух и, задъ... и да и задържиш част от парите от продажбата на земята? Нали тази земя беше твоя преди да я продадеш? След като е продадена, Парите бяха твои да се разпорежда с тях, както намериш за добре. Защо намисли да изсвършиш това нещо? Ти излага не хората, а Бога. Като чу тези думи, Анания се свлече на земята и издъхна. Всички, които научиха това, много се изплашиха. Младежите станаха, покриха тялото му, после го изнесоха и го покребаха. This deed in your heart. You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things.
0: Thank you, Alex, for reading our scripture for us today and that beautiful native tongue. I appreciate that. We have a very exciting passage to study now. Um, And if I've not had the chance to meet you, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Sound City Bible Church. And um, I hope that you feel something that I've been feeling lately. That is, overjoyed. At the work of the Lord that we 're seeing around us uh, it 's been a, a tough year, and we know that, but we 've been able to see God working in powerful ways. Um, if we were to just stop and list all the ways we see God working, we would we would fill the day and that that might be a, a healthy and a beautiful project sometime, but but even just in the last few weeks we 've seen God working in, in powerful ways we, we saw the regathering. Of God's church in this location, we saw the merging of two congregations into one for gospel reasons and and kingdom impact. We uh, have seen the very tangible uh, work happening to prepare a worship place for us and a place for ministry. Uh, we have uh, seen the uh, community touched through actions of this church, such as the partnership with the Nourishing Network and the, the prayer walk you just heard about, and uh, in many ways that we've seen God working powerfully, and, and not, the, not the least of which are the, the return of, of ministries that we feel are important, such as kids' ministry that you see happening right around the corner, and the, the student ministry returning to in-person ministry this week. It's exciting to see God at work. And as I was reflecting on that and, and reflecting on our passage uh, for today, uh, this week I was reminded of, of kind of a general principle, and that is that when God is working powerfully among and through His people, very often the enemy will attack. That's what we're seeing happening in our passage today, and, and I think we need to be aware of that. You know sometimes we 're uncomfortable thinking about the spiritual realm, but the Bible teaches that is that is part of the reality God created and and this week we felt that uh, among the leadership of the church, even as we were celebrating all these wonderful things and 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 the empowerment of god 's people to do god 's work you know uh, the elders we were confronted with some of our own areas that we need to grow in to be more effective leaders and to really empower and raise up the the, the people of god and we you know we could have uh built some walls and pointed fingers but instead we 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 did our best to meet those uh head on and w- with humility and and on our knees and and repentance and asking God you lead us you heal us you change us for your glory and then immediately as as pastor John mentioned people start showing up at the building for prayer what he did not mention was that the first two of those people, showing up on different days, came with these words in their mouth, I am possessed by a demon, and asking for help. And then, and the third lady, showing up, saying, I am oppressed. I, I, have, I see no way forward. And, and so we, we were able to minister to them with the Holy Spirit and the gospel, and offer them help. But it was just a reminder to me, when we see God at work, we have to be ready and prepared that that's, that stirs up the enemy to fight against what God is doing. And we see that happening here in Acts. We, last week, we saw uh, the gospel going forward and proclaimed through the apostles in the church, and immediately the religious leaders were trying to uh, stop that through threats and through uh, arrests and, and uh, commands not to preach the gospel. But instead, they said, we will follow the Lord, and we will preach the gospel, and give us boldness, Lord. And so, there was an attack from the outside, and this week in our passage, we see an attack from the inside. And so, to, so what we're going to see as we look at our passage is this this overarching theme. We're going to bookend it, so we'll say it now. We'll say it at the end. This overarching theme. God's grace is not permission to sin but the power to transform. And that's what we're seeing happening here in Acts. So Acts chapter 5 is what we read today, and that's going to be kind of the focal point, but I want us to take just a few verses back in the last bit of Acts chapter 4 where we really get to see the power of God at work in those early believers. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says, Now the entire group of those who believed we of one heart and mind. I want to stop there. I want to focus on the entire group of those who believed. Who are we talking about is this group? This, this, this uh, kind of roughly defined group of people, this, this church that we would call it. Who are they? Well, Luke gives us this one defining description. They believed. What is that? That, that, that's not, you know, in our current Western culture, we, we kind of throw that around that word around. And, and you can say, I'm a believer. You can say uh, that encompasses so many things. And there's this movement of just spiritualism. You could be a believer in spiritualism. That's not what we're talking about here. For Luke to say, this is a group who believed, he meant something very specific. He meant... They believed in the Savior, Jesus the Christ. They would call him the Messiah. These were all Jewish believers. Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Savior, who was the eternally existent Son of God. Born of a virgin, the the perfect uniting of fully man and fully God. They believed that this Jesus according to his gospel, lived a perfectly sinless life, obedient to the Father in perfection, experiencing the temptations common to man. He was not exempt from temptation. In fact, he had temptations we will never understand, but did not sin, lived the holy life that we should live but cannot, and then crucified on the cross, put to death An excruciating death, not for his sins, not for his crimes, not for his rebellion, but for our sins. Taking the place of sinners so that our sin could be covered. That the Bible uses the word atoned for. And that the wrath of God appeased all through His death on the cross. Then Jesus was buried, and on the third day, resurrected, because sin had been paid for, the grave had been conquered, death no longer had a hold on Him. And the power of God raised Jesus to, to life. He appeared, and was witnessed, and then ascended to the right hand of God, where he reigns still and forever. And we just sang that song, where we find our assurance in him at the right hand of God on our behalf. That's what Luke meant when he said, they believed. And it's a very specific definition. And that's important because guess what? That's what defines this group too. Those of us sitting in this, in this field right now, if we claim to be part of the church of Christ, that is exactly what we mean. We follow Jesus. We believe in him. And then what had happened, as they were being saved and brought into the people of God, God was changing their hearts. He was transforming them so that they were living a radical new life, a life of generosity, selflessness, and compassion for one another. Let's hear how Luke describes it. So after he says, the entire group of those who believed, Acts four thirty-two, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common. With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them, for there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses, sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as they had need. So this was a radical new life of generosity and selflessness and compassion, but it wasn't because of just acts, actions alone. It was because of a transformed heart, a new way of living from a new life inside them. Now, we have to be careful, because when we read that, that, the, just those few verses, it might start to sound like some solutions to the world's problems that other people put forward. That we can fix the world's problems, the evils, the, the injustices of the world, just by shifting around possessions or wealth. And if we set up the right government or the right uh, economic system, then we can fix all the problems of mankind. That's not at all what these scriptures are saying. You see, that's exactly backwards. The, the problems we see in the world are heart problems. cannot be fixed by possessions. And what we're seeing here is the heart problem got fixed first, and then it, sh- it showed, uh, showed itself by a life now lived of compassion for each other. So so you can't reverse that. You can't fix the heart problem by addressing the possessions. So, so just a word of caution there. And as we see this radical new life, Luke gives for us an example. He holds up Barnabas in these le- next couple of verses as, as an example of uh, the, the generous living of the church. And so Barnabas, he had another name. He was really called Joseph. But the, the, the apostles... Gave him a nickname, Barnabas. That means son of encouragement. It says, he sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so what we're seeing here is they counted everything that they owned as not belonging to themselves, but belonging to the Lord. So that's, here's a principle that we see in this text. Everything we have belongs to the Lord think about that. Everything you have belongs to the Lord. And so, so that definitely covers our bank accounts, our retirement accounts, our income, our homes, our clothing, our vehicles. So it definitely includes all of that and more. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the prin- the, 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 there's a name for this principle, and it's called stewardship. Stewardship. Here's an easy, quick definition for stewardship: the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And that's what we're seeing. This new heart in the church was a recognition that all of this that's at my disposal is not just for me, it's for the purposes of God. And they were living that way. And so we want to seize this opportunity just to pause right here and let's press in a little bit to to stewardship in our own hearts. Believe it or not, money and possessions is one of the pitfalls spiritually. It's very strange how a very tangible, practical thing can become a spiritual pitfall. But But it's true. So let's press into it just a little bit. How can we set ourselves up now that we have... This entrance into the kingdom of God, this opportunity to have transformed lives, how can we set ourselves up then to be like Barnabas and to be generous, have this, this stewardship attitude? Well, one, one practical thing is, let's, have, let's take control of our lifestyle choices. That, that means that we intentionally set our lives up, our lifestyles up, so that we can be enabled to use our resources for God's purposes. And this has to do with all kinds of aspects in our lives. Uh, debt. If we allow ourselves to be drawn into debt, that means saying tomorrow I'll pay for something I want to enjoy today. Uh, and we're talking about consumer debt here, when you have a choice about it. Uh, this, this lifestyle choices depends on how, or it involves how we spend our income, uh, the commitments we make with our money, the tastes and habits and the the needs and wants balances in our lives we have the opportunity as Christ followers to shape our lives according to what the purposes of God are now especially if you're a young person if you're if you're if, you're, if the majority of your lifestyle choices are ahead of you okay you have a unique opportunity to start shaping what the rest of your life's going to be like. That you can poise yourself to be able to live a very generous life by the decisions you make now. Some people have been crippled for the rest of their life by poor decisions financially early on. And we, we don't want that. We want to set ourselves up for not listening to the influences of the world about how we shape our lifestyles. The influences of the world say, you deserve whatever you want. Always be searching for more and more. And, and there's, a, there's, there's, there's this subtle message that gets, that's almost not spoken, but it gets implanted in us from the world that says, you will never have enough, so you better start trying to catch up. You'll never earn enough, so you better start trying to earn more. You'll never be satisfied with all of the stuff, so you better try to gather more and more. The problem is, it's a, it's a black hole. Those things will never bring you the satisfaction you think that they have. And so we want to shape our lifestyles not by the influences of the world but by the purposes of God. So that means then we sit down and we budget. We actually put pen to paper and we, we tell our money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Some of you may have heard that, uh, that phraseology before. The idea is, We want to be in control of our resources so that it glorifies God. And finally, and and probably most importantly, how we can be good stewards is developing a heart of compassion. It's a shift in thinking, a shift away from thinking about my life only and to thinking about other people's lives and other people's needs. And I wonder how have you set yourself up for generosity? Or or what hurdles have you allowed to to be put in your place? So one thing that we can probably see in our lives is a desire to hold on to our possessions and to our money. This is the opposite of that generous heart that we're seeing here in Acts 4. And we have this tendency to want to, to hold on for ourselves. And I think there's really two broad categories for why we do that. One is security. We We have this realization that there are dangers in the world and that money can help protect against a lot of those dangers and so we we want the protection i know about security i know this is a real heart need of people we some of you might know we just moved into a new home and as the dad part of my responsibility was to make sure our home was secure So the first day we moved in, I went around, checked all the windows that they locked, checked all the doors, made sure I needed to change the keys and the the codes where I needed to so that the home was secure from the outside. But then uh, that first day, also our two-year-old toddlers were running around and opening every door and window, and my wife said, now we need to figure out how to keep it secure from the inside so the kids aren't escaping out. So I've been going and putting sensors on every door and window so that when it opens, our little AI in the kitchen can say, that door is open or the window is open. And so we'll know to go check, make sure no kid has escaped. So we know about security. But here's, the, here's another lie that, that, that we buy into, that money can protect us. There are dangers and there are threats that money cannot protect against. And you can have all the money in the world and still not be secure. In fact, Jesus told a wonderful parable about that. The, the rich man in Lazarus, if you want to go and look that up. Money gives us a false sense of security. So if we're holding on to money, if we're holding on to possessions for security, then we are not seeking the security we need that comes from the Lord. That is the perfect security. And it's available to us whether we have money or not. The other broad category of why we might be tempted to hold on to our possessions and our money and not be generous is for self-serving. That, that we do like the, the tastes and the lifestyle that we've built. Or we do uh, have this drive for, for more. Uh, or maybe it's a comfort level. Maybe it's a pride level. But it's all this self-serving. And, and so I think when we feel this tension in our lives... Whether to be generous and a good steward or, or to focus on ourselves, we need to, to push back. Where selfishness comes at us, we need to push back with generosity. Where, where we might feel compelled, like, well, the church is telling me to give this, but I don't really want to. We need to push back and say, no, in Christ there's freedom to give. It's not a compulsion. It's freedom. Where we start to lean toward building our own kingdom. We say, no, I am for, the, for God's kingdom and not my own And and there are lots of practical ways that you have opportunities to give. Every Sunday we remind you of the ways you can support the regular missions and ministries of the church. And then you hear about special opportunities that come up to give in special ways and special missions and, and outreaches. And then you have people in the church that you know, people in your life that you know that have needs. We want to be the generous stewards like Barnabas was. But then we have all this beautiful story of this powerful working of God, and Barnabas is in the, as the example of this generous lifestyle. And then we have an immediate switch in chapter 5. We start to see now an attack of the enemy and this principle at work. You can deceive yourselves, you can deceive others. But you cannot deceive God. The very first verse of chapter 5 starts with these words, But a man named Ananias. That is so tragic to me. You end with chapter 4, this beautiful picture of the power of the working of God and the generosity and compassion of God's people. And the next phrase, but a man named Ananias his life and these choices he made and his heart behind them are set up as the contrast to God's power and working in his church. And how tragic that is. Would that God would protect us as individuals and as a church from ever being set up in contrast to his powerful working. But no church is safe from the threat of the sinful heart. No individual is immune from the infection of pride and greed and self-serving. We must hear this story with a little bit of fear and apprehension, not, not fear that Jesus didn't save us, but fear that our own flesh might be a, a trip, a trap for us, like it was for Ananiah. And so what's happening here in this story? is Ananias sets himself up to be seen like Barnabas was. So, so Barnabas had sold uh, his field and brought the, brought, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And that, was, that, that wasn't meant to be showy. It wasn't meant to, to say, hey, everybody look at Barnabas. Like if we did that, it would be weird, right? If we just said, okay, we're going to pause now in the service. Everybody's going to come and lay your offerings right here. And we're going we're to all see it right in front of everybody. No, we, we do the opposite. You know, we, we, we say give behind the scenes. But this wasn't meant to be uh, showy. It was meant to, to, to be a, a, an act of worship. It was meant to be an act of, of unity, of, of Barnabas himself saying, this isn't mine, this is God's, and it, now let's use it for God's purposes. And it was a very humble and, and genuine thing. But then Ananias... He wants some of that attention, that that uh, that holy that holy um, recognition that Barnabas had gotten, and so he contrives to sell some property he and his wife, and acts like they're going to do the exact same thing Barnabas did, except they hold back some for their own purposes. It wasn't they weren't holding back for their need; they were holding it back to serve themselves. In contrast. what god was doing in the church and as soon as they do that it gets exposed and so what we see then is that there god exposes this threat to the church now you might say why was this one man's sin a threat to the church well there was something exciting happening it was at the beginning of this new biblical community and the advancement of the gospel it was is right at the beginning of that, and God was going to protect that and so it 's not just one man 's sin it starts there but it's it's a it 's an attack on the church. We saw last week the attack on the inside uh, on the outside from the religious leaders, and this is an attack from the inside and a stirring up of pride and self, uh, selfishness and deceit that could undo the unity around the gospel. John Stott says it this way, If the devil's first tactic was to destroy the church by force from without, his second tactic was to destroy it by falsehood from within. If you're interested in a little more study on this idea, there's a parallel to this story At the beginning uh, of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, where the people of God are entering into the promised land and a similar thing happens. I'm going to leave it at that to you. This is the story of Achan. Go and read that in Joshua 6 sometime. So this is not just a story of greed. It's a story of an an attack from the enemy. And here's where we also need to, to pay attention if we're not careful, we can just start pointing fingers at Ananias and Sapphira. can say, look at them. Look at those greedy people. They, by their greed and pride, they let in the, the enemy to, to try to attack the church. How horrible those people are. Except for one thing. We need to ask this question. Who am I in this story? The answer is, we are Ananias and Sapphira. If we're not careful, we will fall into the same traps. We need to identify with them and say, Lord, help me. And I, I, I confess to you right now, I totally see this in my life. The, the pride that wants to be thought of as holier than I really am, of more righteous than I am, of having things together more than I really do of having more of the answers than I really know. I confess that I try to hide my sin so that others will think better of me. I think if we're honest, we all have that tendency. And we need to confront it rather than to hide that. So we need to ask, what, what pretense am I putting up for others? How am I trying to, be, to, be, uh, to appear to? Better than I am, and in what ways then am I being dishonest? Dishonest with myself, dishonest with others, trying to hide things from God. My motivations, my my uh, my my heart, my my thinking. And then, what am I stealing from God? What, what am I trying to claim for my own? that rightly belongs to God and to His purposes. We, we've talked a lot about money because that was the, the, uh, the object in this story. Not a story, this account. But it really could be a lot of things. Remember I said everything that we have belongs to the Lord. So yes, it includes all the money and the stuff, but it also includes our time, our talents, our very presence, it, it includes our, our commitments. And sometimes we are stealing those things from where they should be just to serve ourselves. Here, here's an example uh, from Hebrews chapter 19. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So that would be what God's purposes are. And here's the contrast not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So right there, just those few phrases, you've got this idea that there are things the church should be doing together and we should be uh, giving of ourselves, our time, our talents, to build up the body for God's purposes. And yet sometimes we steal that away for our own purposes, for our own self-serving. And so here is here's the conclusion of, of the story then. So Ananias and his wife set themselves up pridefully to to claim something that they weren't. And it brought on them God's judgment. And so we see this, this truth at work. The power and the judgment of God are real and terrifying. I, I hope you feel with me like I feel. This is a terrifying story. It's, it's, it seems different to hear about the judgment of God on, the, on a, a lost, sinful, rebellious world, right? It's a little more terrifying, especially for those of us in the church, to hear about God's judgment on His people in the church. And I think that is healthy. I think that's why Luke includes it here. And why twice in this short 11 verses, he points to the fact that God's judgment and the power and the swiftness of it and the righteousness of it brought fear to the people. It, it was, it's, it, the fear of God that we're talking about is not the fear that pushes away. It's a fear that expands our awe. And that's what we're seeing happening here. Some people want to try to explain what happened to Ananias and Sapphira as coincidental. Uh, As I was studying this passage and and getting uh, insights from other sources, I found that some people, some preachers, some theologians, they want to try to explain that it was just coincidental that Peter pronounced this word of judgment against Ananias and Sapphira, and then they died. Like maybe their own conscience got the better of them and they died of fright. Or there was some underlying condition that happened, and just it was just God brought those things together in, in, in a God ordained time, but it wasn't really God making a judgment on them and them dying. I don't read that text that way. That is trying to impose a different understanding for other reasons on this text. It reads as if God pronounced judgment on Ananias and Sapphira for their part in trying to deceive the Holy Spirit, to deceive the church and be an, act, an actor in, in the enemy's attack on the church. And I think we should be afraid of that. I think the Scripture says there's a healthy amount of fear we need to have when it comes to the judgment of God in relation to our sin. Earlier, the, the worship team, as they're leading us through, through uh, the liturgy, one, one of the passages they read was Hebrews chapter 10. And, then, and it describes God as a consuming fire. And then a few verses later, which they didn't read, it says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, sometimes we want to re- write the the description of God to match what we want. All grace, no judgment, basically. The scripture does not let us do that. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We need to know that. And that is part of the reason why this account of Ananias and Sapphira is there for the church to say, God takes sin very seriously God is holy and righteous he cannot abide sin and he stands opposed in his judgment to sin and here's the thing each of us you and me we each rightly deserve to be judged and condemned for our sin like I said, we are Ananias and Sapphira. We deserve it. So why doesn't God squash us? Why doesn't why why don't we have more people falling over dead at the offering time? Well, why don't why don't the televangelists that stand up and bilk the 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 poor little widows out of their money so they can buy a private jet? Why aren't they falling over dead? Right? That that would make a lot of sense to us. I think. Well, well, the, the, I think what we're seeing is God doesn't always reveal all of his judgments. And we can't understand why he does judge, obviously in this case and not obviously in that case. But we do have the assurance God will judge sin. And for his people, that judgment is correction to keep us on the right path. So it would be better for us to look at the judgment that happened to Ananias and Sapphira and say, Lord, correct me, keep me on the same path, than for us to have to actually experience a judgment to correct us. Let's learn from their mistakes and let's stay on the path. And so we, we also see by withholding his judgment, God gives us grace. Even though God knows every thought in our minds, even though God knows every intention of our hearts, even though God knows every attitude, every muttered word, and He sees us in total completeness, He gives us grace. All because of Jesus Christ. And it, it's grace, not, per, not that's permission to keep on sinning, but grace to transform. And so in this case, we would say it, it's grace not to keep loving possessions and money. It's grace to love people more. And so, what are our next steps? We want to be like Barnabas. We want to stop being like Ananias and Sapphira. So, so Lord, make us generous. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to love people more than possessions. Help, you know, we need to work on honesty and transparency. Fight against that idea that says, "I want to be. I want to appear." holier than I am. Lord, make us transparent. And then invite, invite each other in that walk. A great way we do that, if you don't already know, is through our community groups. But inviting people to walk with us on our journey of discipleship. And of course, let's celebrate the freedom of God's grace. Freedom to grow and not freedom to indulge sin. Will you pray with me? Lord, you know our hearts, you know our tendencies. You know that it could have been any one of us in Ananias's fireplace. place, but you've given us grace Th- Thank you, Lord, just for protecting the church in that vulnerable time and the unity around the cross. Thank you for protecting that. Thank you for the warning that it brings to our lives. Lord would you expose our tendencies? the tendency toward pride and self-serving and greed, would you create in us compassion, love for others? And Lord, even now as we begin to to prepare to celebrate the Lord's table and and the sacrifice of Christ, would you just let your grace wash over us, transforming us, protect us from an abuse of grace that would try to make an excuse or a permission for sin. Lord, only you know how you want to work in each of our lives, so we just bow before your throne that you would do that work. In Jesus' name, amen.